Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking a little about corn leaf diseases and fungicides. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, the number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So here over the last few days, uh, both Darren and I have been kind of rotating in and out of the office. Uh, well, one is in, then the other is out on the road talking to farmers about just basically what's happened here over the course of the last growing season and some agronomic issues we've seen. And then also just at least a little bit giving our forecast for this coming year. So let me just tell you some of the things that we've been sharing with farmers. The top five, I kind of wrote down what are top five agronomic questions we've received this year. So these might not be the top five on your farm, but it's these are the most popular questions that we've certainly gotten throughout at least the Midwestern United States. Number one has been soybean leaf cupping. Is it dicamba or is it something else? Number two, how do I kill 100% of water, hemp, and kochia in soybeans? And by the way, you can do this. Uh, just takes a little effort, a little investment. Got to use some pre's, things like that. Uh, number three, volunteer corn control in soybeans. Why is it so bad this year? Uh, number four, should I have sprayed for spider mites, and why were they so bad this growing season? And then number five, is rootworm pressure actually worse because I see lots of adult corn rootworm beetles? So those are the top five things that we've gotten for questions this year, and they're all obviously agronomic challenges. A little bit different you know, from one to the next. So, for example, the soybean leaf cupping, that may have nothing to do with what you sprayed on your farm, but may have something to do with what a neighbor sprayed or somebody well down the road. Uh, so I, I, what I want to focus on, though, is what we or you can control on your farm. And to me, weed control is always right up on top of the list of things we've got to do if we want to have really good yields. So over the last two days, I drove from our farm, we farm right north of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, all the way to, to the Canadian border in northern Minnesota. And so I was kind of in uh, right at the Canadian border, kind of the central part of the state for Minnesota. And anyway, the entire way up, and and I had different meetings as I went along the way and met with farmers and, and some groups and stuff. But anyway, the entire way up, I'm seeing water hemp. In some cases, I looked at fields where I said, are they trying to raise water hemp? Or are there actually some soybeans out there or whatever other crop it was? I mean, it's terrible right now. And I understand that water hemp grows fast and there are a lot of herbicides that just flat out don't control water hemp. But there are a lot more things that can be done than are being done on many farms. And, you know, I think we all kind of fell into this uh, false sense of security a few years ago when Roundup came out, or actually quite a few years ago now. And even before that, it was Pursuit. So you'd go spray one thing, and maybe you even had to spray it twice, like in the case of Roundup, but your weeds were fairly well under control. But the problem with going away from some of the residual herbicides and going away from the really good residual herbicides is eventually then the weeds start to get ahead. So if a few weeds go to seed one year, pretty soon it's lots of weeds two or three years later. Well, anyway, I 
personally think that's where a lot of this water hemp issue has kind of come from is we let a few go and then you know eventually it just kept getting worse and worse and worse every water hemp plant and palmer pigweed falls into the exact same category they are virtually identical weeds they're both smooth pigweed they both can put on up to a million seeds per plant and they both can grow two to three inches tall in a day all depends obviously on your heat and moisture that you have but anyway these weeds water hemp and palmer pigweed compete very very well kochia is a little bit different and the problem with kochia is it seems to survive when sometimes nothing else will so yesterday I had a farmer say to me, Brian, why don't you tell these researchers to find whatever is in giant ragweed that makes it grow so darn fast and put that into some of our crops so they grow faster? (laughs) And I said, well, that's a pretty good idea. I said, what I've often told researchers is whatever is in kochia that will help it survive in salt, in heat, in drought with no moisture, in the worst possible soil conditions, Whatever is in that kochia, that's what you need to take. Because I'd love to have some of that in my corn or my soybeans or wheat or whatever it is. Anyway, with kochia, it's a little different than the water hemp and palmer pigweed. doesn't put on as many seeds or anything. But one of the big challenges we have with kochia is even a small plant, even a four or six inch tall plant, might have 20 or 30 growing points on it. And if you want to completely kill any weed, you have to kill every single growing point. Grass plants, at least annual grass plants, have one growing point. So you get that one growing point under control, you're done with the grass. With broadleaf weeds, they're different. Broadleaf weeds have lots of growing points. And basically, if you look at the main stem, every branch coming off the main stem right at that point where the branch meets the the main stem, there's a growing point there. And then at the top, in basically we'll call it the bud or buds, uh, right at the top, you can figure there are several growing points in there on a small plant. So that's one of the biggest challenges we see with kochia is lots of growing points. In addition to it just flat out seems to survive almost any soil or weather condition we've got. So anyway, those are the two big weeds we talk about. Well, I don't care which one you're after, the smooth pigweed species, water hemp or palmer pigweed, or kochia. You have to start with a fantastic pre-emerge herbicide program. So we talk all the time here on the show about the three pre's, and the reason why we talk about those three specifically is you can't use any of those post-emerge. You've got to use them pre-emerge, and then all three are effective on kochia and palmer pigweed and water hemp. So what we mean by the three pre's, it's metribuzin, it's a yellow, either prowl or trifluralin, and then it's a PPO, either authority or valor. So you start with those things, then you follow very early post on your weediest fields with a combination of like a group 15 and another PPO. So that could be a premix of like Anthem Max or Warrant Ultra. I mean, those are premix products that have a group 15 and a PPO. So you start with that type of program, and then in your soybeans, you've got these really, really tough weeds under control. All right, so today we're going to focus next on corn leaf diseases and fungicides. Stay tuned. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown.
Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Bill wants plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Ag PhD has one mission give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about corn leaf diseases and fungicides. So first on the show, we got Gail Stratman with us. He is with FMC. Gail, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you. All right. So talking about corn leaf diseases and fungicides, this year, at least here in the northern United States and up into southern Canada, it's been really, really dry. So in our region, have you still been seeing very many corn leaf diseases despite this dry weather? Well, we haven't been seeing them to the extent or the rapid uh, expansion of them. But depending on the hybrid, the field, you know, um, and, and the management situation, they're still out there and um, and they're still worth watching and, and, and worth bearing and, and keeping an eye on here as we go through this grain fill period. All right, so which ones in particular are you seeing the most of this year? Well, it's, it's been primarily uh, some gray leaf spot um, that we've been seeing early on here with the, uh, in, you know, especially in the high residue situations. Um, you know, southern rust is typically one we get a little nervous about, but it's been, you know, it's been down uh, considerably this year versus previous years, but we can still find it in a few places, but it's it's, remar- it's, it's dramatically lower this year. So, you know, it, like I said, in the western corn belt and the northern plains here, overall leaf diseases are are down, um, but, you know, like I said, we can, we can still see some benefits out of tree, uh, watching those and managing those fields uh, accordingly. So with the southern rust, that typically has to blow up from the south. Do you think that we just didn't have the right weather for it this year? Did we not have enough south winds? What, why do you think it didn't reach this far north, at least in, in high quantities? Well, you know, typically, um, you know, we do, we typically might see that in the south where it's been wet this year. But, um, you know, in, in previous years, you know, you really got to have a good source to get that going. Um, and and in, in other years, um they, you know, had planted a little bit later. They were earlier planted this year down there. So a lot of times that corn can get ahead of itself and, and, uh, and matures before that disease really, you know, 
is able to get established there. The other part of it is, is up here with the dry conditions we've had um, this year, you really don't have that environment that's really conducive to, to help the infection. So we may have, you know, some pretty decent levels of inoculum around, but we just didn't have the, the good conditions this year to really get that uh, infection going in the corn. So, you know, it's there, but it's not really causing a problem. Sure. So I wanted to ask you also about your fungicide at FMC Lucento because that's got a triazole, uh, the same thing that would be in Top Guard, and then it's got an SDHI. So yep. the addition of that SDHI, what are you seeing in terms of differences versus a person using just a straight triazole in, uh, when we're talking about these corn leaf diseases and control? Well, SDHIs um, kind of act a little bit. They act in, in the in the area of respiration. So they act a lot like the QOIs or the strobe type fungicides. So they're, they're very similar to that. So you can, in addition to seeing additional mode of action for disease control, leaf spot diseases, rust diseases, but you can also see some of those plant health benefits that we see with, um, with the QOI or the strobe fungicide. So they work on a little different spot or they attach slightly different in the, in the fungal wall. Um, but they, they act very much the same way and can do have some of the similar properties and similar benefits. So um, we see, like I said, we see additional disease uh, efficacy out of that, but we also see some of those plant health benefits out of SDHI molecules, and that's why they work so well with those, uh, with those triazoles in combination. Gail, any other quick comments you got for us today when we talk about corn leaf diseases and fungicides? Well, you know, leaf diseases are, are a big component of it, but... Um, you know, there's also the other benefits that you see from foliar fungicides out there around, you know, standability and stalk health and those sorts of things. So, um, you know, even in a year when we don't have the, the high level of leaf diseases, there's also other benefits we see out of those fungicides. So as we're looking at those fields, looking at that corn, uh, take those parts into consideration, too, that, uh, that not, it's not just about leaf disease control. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up. Uh, my brother Darren was uh, up doing a field day in North Dakota the other day, and he had a farmer that had two corns. It was the same variety, and one looked great, and the other looked terrible. And they were kind of going round and round with the guy because he didn't want to share with everybody else what was he actually doing. Well, he had sprayed fungicide where the corn yep. looked good, and this is in a drought area. So, you know, it's yep. one of the things where typically we've said, hey, you know, you're not probably going to have a lot of disease when you have drought. But by the same token, if you don't spray that fungicide, you won't get all the plant health benefits either. Hey, Gail, we got to run, right. but uh, great talking to you today. Really appreciate the time. You bet. Thank you, Brian. All right, let's go next down to North Carolina. Got Kevin Matthews on with us. He's with Extreme Ag and Farms down there. Kevin, how are you today? Oh, doing good, Brian. We're picking corn today. All right, so we were talking with Gail about dry weather conditions. You haven't had that this year, right? You've had a fair amount of moisture. Uh, we, we've had both. We've had uh, some farms where we just missed a shower, so... We get a little bit of everything, but uh, overall, we've had a but we've had average moisture in pretty good shape. Sure. So, tell us about what you do in terms of spraying fungicides for corn leaf diseases on your farm. Like, what what diseases are you specifically targeting usually? Uh, for us, we're looking uh, specifically at gray leaf spot. Uh, it comes in very hard here compared to a lot of areas in the U.S. And we're also watching for northern and southern leaf blight and then we're always scouting and hoping and praying that we don't have southern rust because that one can be a booger to try to take care of 
Okay, so you mentioned Southern Rust. How often do you get it? Seems like it's about every third year, fourth year is when we see it pretty bad. And, and sometimes, you know, we might go four or five, but it's you just, the trouble is, is you may not be looking and it'll jump up on you. So you got to stay on top of it and be out in those fields and keep a look for it. Typically, your hurricane patterns have a lot to do with that. Uh, it'll blow it up in here. We start hearing about it down in Georgia and, uh, and Alabama and down in the south, and we get those tropical storms come up through, and they bring it with them. Okay, so if you spray early enough and you're, you're timely and everything, do you find that the fungicides are good for you on southern rust? Uh, they do help. It's all about timing. Uh, southern rust is a different animal than most of your diseases that we fight, Brian. So if if you've sprayed within 10 days of the, the storm events bringing it up to us, typically, it, you know, you're pretty safe. Still need to get out in the field and keep an eye on it because it, it can just devastate a crop in just a few days. So how many times do you typically spray your corn with a fungicide? Do you wait until tassel and then maybe hit some fields a second time? Do you spray anything early? What's kind of your timing? How we've done everything you could imagine, but what seems to be the best scenario that we've found is that V10, V12 fungicide application. And um, then if it's a high-yielding area, good environment, say 200 bushel better corn, uh, we'll hit it around R4, and uh, anything that's irrigated in our real high-yield areas, we're obviously we're going to hit that twice. Uh, sure. We will hit that early. We used to do the R, R2, R1, R2, uh, right after pollination. Yep. We would go in and spray and then come back at R5, but we was already seeing lesions. We would spray, and it looked good, and a week or two later, your lesions would show up where it was already on there. We just hadn't seen it yet. So sure. by moving that window up, we're getting a lot better control. Uh, disease management is just like weed management. The earlier and the smaller and the quicker you get out there, the easier it is to control. So would you say this year is just a normal year for leaf diseases? Has it been uh, worse than normal? How, how, how has it been shaping up? Uh, it's probably it's maybe slightly above average for us. We have it every year. I mean, we're going to have it here in the south. Uh, our humidities and moistures, it's just, you're going to have it. So, but I would say gray leaf spot is probably worse this year. Okay. All right. Well, again, we've been talking to Kevin Matthews. He farms down in North Carolina and is part of the Extreme Ag Group. Kevin, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it, and best of luck to you here as uh, harvest continues. All right. Thank you, sir. Y'all have a good day. Yep, you too. Yeah, it's always interesting getting different perspectives depending on where you're at. <laughs> Moisture-wise, humidity, everything else makes an enormous difference, obviously, in farming. So with these fungicides, we'll continue talking a little about what they can do for plants and which diseases they're controlling. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. If you've ever wondered how the farm all got its name, Here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. 
Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting today from the Morton Studio. Talking corn, leaf diseases, and fungicides, but if you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, we'd love to take your phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD. So right now we're going to go back to the phone lines. We've got Tamara Jackson-Zims on with us. She is with University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Tamara, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing, Brian? Excellent. So tomorrow I'm doing a couple of farmer events down in southern Nebraska. What can I expect right. to see when I get down into southern Nebraska in terms of corn leaf diseases this year? Is it bad? What's it looking like? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, you know, it does vary a little bit. Uh, and I know that, I don't know which town you're going to be in, but in some areas we've still been pretty dry. We've had a few isolated events, so some people have gotten a little more rain or bad stuff, uh, hail here and there than others. But generally speaking, we have less gray leaf spot than I've seen in a while. 
there's a smattering of southern rust that's around but didn't become severe, I think, in most fields like we were afraid it might. Uh, other things, a few bacterial diseases, uh, more bacterial leaf streak, I think, than anything else. Yeah, I, I figured you'd be mentioning the bacterial diseases. I want to get back to that in just a minute. I'll tell you, I'm going to be in Seward, so fairly near Lincoln uh, in the morning, and then the afternoon I'm going to be over in Wood River. So uh, a little bit different areas, but yeah, I, I expected we would see maybe just a little bit less disease pressure. Um, one, one of the other questions that I had for you, too, is what are you seeing in terms of resistance? So I know there are getting to be a lot of fungicides sprayed, strobes, trizols, SDHIs, and some combination products. Are you seeing much trouble in terms of resistance to these different fungicides? At the moment, in corn diseases, not so much. You know, we're spending more time talking about that in soybeans, like frog eye leaf spot yep. that is uh, going to be an issue for us. Mm -hmm. uh, the related disease, gray leaf spot, is a similar uh, fungus, but it's a little bit different. And when those mutations happen there, usually they're a lethal mutation or it uh, just doesn't commonly happen because of the way that fungus reproduces. So, so far, this isn't been a, a big problem for us. It's not to say something couldn't happen in the future. Yeah, and one of the things I think about is almost every farmer out there sprays for weeds. Not a lot of farmers percentage-wise spray a fungicide, and, and they certainly don't spray every single year, so I have to assume that helps a little bit. And otherwise, I, I think it, it obviously has to help that now a lot of companies have these combination products or premixes containing two, if not even three, modes of action. So anything else you can think of that could help a farmer who's concerned about resistance moving forward? Well, I, I think that's right. I think we, we assume that using products that are a combination of different modes of action is probably going to help us. A lot of it does depend on, on the fungi. And so there's other fungi we think where we might start seeing some of this, but at the moment uh, we haven't seen much of it or just aren't looking in the right places yet. So I hope people will still lean on uh, their hybrid resistance some crop rotation, some of the other methods, and then use our fungicides responsibly. And because uh, like you mentioned, we're primarily using products from only three, sometimes four modes of action right. or classes. Yep. Not a whole lot to choose from at the moment. No, no, that's for sure. And we have virtually nothing to choose from when we talk about bacterial diseases. So I want to come back to that mm -hmm. quick. You mentioned uh, bacterial leaf streak. There's also Goss's wilt out there. Are you finding anything that can help a farmer post-emerge anyway? I realize variety selection is the key, but post-emerge, is there anything that a farmer can do? You know, we did a few studies looking at some of the bactericides, and we were able to reduce bacterial leaf streak, but uh, one application wasn't enough to really be sustainable or at least have longer-term benefits. You know, most of those products that are bactericides or contact products that wash off and aren't absorbed in the plant. And so that's a disadvantage. Plus, being able to get good coverage on both the top and the bottom of the leaves is uh, would be really important for those products because we think a lot of those infections take place on both leaf surfaces. And, man, bacteria are just, are just hard. And so we don't have an immediate solution for that. So 
just a couple of things that people have mentioned to me. I know we even had a question in our Ag PhD mailbag today about hydrogen peroxide, so that was one. And the other is, in a number of other crops, people you use some type of copper treatment. And I, I know in corn, we do some foliar feeding, and occasionally we've got some copper in there. Can any level of copper help us? Can hydrogen peroxide help us? Well, I mean, what, 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 are, what specifically are you seeing actually does help? Well, the coppers, you know, are labeled for use for bacterial diseases, and, and we use them in some of the higher value crops. Yep. But those are those are like the ones I, I mentioned about not having uh, protectant properties beyond when you immediately spray them. And so um, we would probably have to reapply them multiple times uh, to have those work on a pretty regular schedule like they do in some of our higher value or vegetable crops. And the... Peroxide products, you know, those, they also kill microbes. And we, I was just discussing that with one of my counterparts in another state and talking about how fleeting that effect might be. And so you may only get, uh, you know, a few hours of killing or benefits from it for those spores. And so if you continue to have spore movement or deposition in spore showers, then you, you'd need more of it to, uh, to help in trying to eliminate the, that next round. And so repeated applications for that might be necessary as well. And I haven't seen a lot of data where we've had some benefits from that yet. In Nebraska, there's a lot of center pivot irrigation. Would it be possible with some of these kinds of products that a farmer could just put them out through the pivot when you talk about, hey, they're going to last only a little while. Maybe you might even have to do them every week for six weeks or something like that. Would that potentially be an option? You know, it could be. And so uh, we worked with at least one grower doing that uh, back during the early bacterial leaf streak or Goss's wilt. And uh, aside from some difficulties, maybe we needed different fittings or something. We had some uh, some effects on some of the some of the equipment too. But right, uh, that could be something to keep in mind. But I'd sure like to test that with somebody and and look into that a little bit deeper. But right now, we don't have any data on that. Yeah, whenever you start talking about repeated applications, I'll just tell you, as a farmer, I don't love hearing that because I don't want to have to go out there a million times. I will also say when you mentioned higher value crops, I mean, obviously you can afford to go out there a bunch when your crop is worth a lot. But I'm starting to think that corn might be a higher value crop because think about in Nebraska and all this irrigated corn, a lot of guys are getting 250 maybe even 300 If I was to get 300 bushel corn times $5, that's $1,500 an acre. I remember on our farm when I was a, a young farmer, uh, you know, we were hoping for $300, hoping for $300 of net revenue. A lot of times we were getting 200 or, you know, gross income. And now we, we start talking 1000 to 1500 on corn. So at least that's changed a little bit. So hopefully, you know, for farmers listening, hopefully you have at least a few extra dollars. You can maybe go address some of these issues. Hey, Tamara, we got about a minute left. Any new diseases, anything new and different that you might want to mention to people to kind of keep an eye out for this year? Well, in our area, we have not confirmed tar spot. And in the western part of Iowa, while we're watching it across the river, we haven't seen activity because probably of the recent dry conditions. We want to be diligent about that in our eastern counties, making sure we're watching for those uh, black spots on the corn leaves. But 
as of right now, we're starting to see some things. Some corn leaves are starting to die quickly. A few plants, we might be seeing some stalk rot development now and maybe crown rot. So if you see some leaves dying off quickly, give those uh, stalks a good look and split them all the way down through the root ball and take a closer look and it might give you your answer. Yep, I agree. We are very concerned about that this year, especially in spots in fields. So I know it's common for all of us farmers to want to harvest the entire field at once. But I'm just afraid that if we wait and do that this year, we could run into problems, especially on some of those light areas where drought has really affected them. Again, we've been talking to Tamara Jackson-Zims with University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Tamara, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Yep, you too. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. AgPhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPhD Insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions.
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about corn leaf diseases and fungicides. So just to kind of wrap up on fungicides a little bit, I want to give you just a few quick tips. If you are going to spray a fungicide, you have to keep in mind that coverage is key. So I realize the trend in our industry has been these great big spray droplets because we're so worried about drift on things like dicamba, for example. Um, yeah, that's great for certain products. Well, I shouldn't even say great. It's needed for certain products. I, the reason why I don't say it's great is you're going to have worse coverage, I'll promise you, when you have great big spray droplets, and then you're going to have worse control. It's just the way it is. With fungicides, they don't move well in the plant, so you can't count on any kind of systemic action in there. Just as an example, if you spray the top of a leaf, even the bottom part of the leaf will be unprotected. Fungicides move in the xylem of the plant. The xylem only moves things up, whereas the phloem moves things down and up. So, for example, if you have Let's just take Roundup. You spray Roundup. That can move down in the plant. So if you get just the top leaves treated on a weed, then it'll move down into the plant, it'll move down to the growing points, and you kill the whole weed. Well, with fungicides, it just simply doesn't work that way. It only moves up. So unless you coat the leaves of the plant, you coat the lower leaves of the plant, anything that's untreated, I mean, it's going to be unprotected. And the reason why that's so important is if you're going to spend some money, $10, $15, $20, whatever you're going to spend, maybe only 5 but it doesn't matter how much you spend. The point is you want to get a return on investment. You have a lower chance to get a great return on investment if you don't coat as many leaves as possible. And then you also have to kind of think about, well, what are the most important leaves? So if you take corn, for example, our topic for today, I would say that the ear leaf is the most important. And so... It's kind of like in wheat, we talk about the flag leaf all the time. So the ear leaf is really what you want to be coating. Below that, then I'm not super worried. You know, if you've got your bottom, let's say it's three, five, even seven leaves, I'm not that worried about it because while they translate to some yield, the upper leaves are going to give you a lot more of your yield because they're out there just for a lot longer. But anyway... I would just say make sure you're getting great spray coverage. So what that means is using a little bit more water, using a little higher pressure, using a little bit finer spray droplet. So all those things are really important. Another thing that's super important with fungicide is this. Fungicides are great at preventing disease. They're lousy at curing disease. So by the time you see a problem out in your field, you're already too late. Now, granted, I mean, you might still get some benefit for and and stop the disease from getting a whole lot worse. But I really appreciated Kevin Matthews' comments a little bit earlier in the show. And if you didn't catch that, let me just restate that and quickly summarize. He just said where they were trying to control disease and they were going out there at R1 in corn, so that's silking, that within a week or so after, they were seeing diseases kind of blowing up. And he said what had happened is the disease was already there. They just really either didn't notice it, didn't see it, whatever. Uh, but it was already there when they sprayed. And so what was already there didn't get stopped. So sure, they stopped future stuff from happening. But that disease had already gotten going and kind of took off. And there was just no completely stopping it. So 
what they did is they started moving their timing up a little bit earlier to V10, V12, something like that before tassel even, and then they started getting a lot better control. Down in South America, I, w I went down to Brazil. This is, I think it was back in 2007, and it's back when everybody was worried about Asian soybean rust. Well, I get down there, and of course, you know, we're thinking, oh man, this is a terrible problem and everything else, and we talked to some farmers and they're like, oh yeah, we're not too worried about it. And I go, what? Everybody's making a super big deal about this Asian soybean rust. And they said, yeah, it, it's not that big a thing. We just figured out we have to spray three times and we have to be early. So we just time it out and we hit that first pass. Once we get that done, we come three weeks after that. We come three weeks after that and we don't really have a problem anymore. So the point was you have to be on the early side and in some cases, you have to have planned applications. So if you have varieties that are susceptible, you're in an area that normally gets disease, you have weather conditions that are at least somewhat conducive for diseases to occur, well, there you go. Then you kind of have to be planning on this. Now, I mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, too, when we were talking to Tamara Jackson-Zims about resistance. We do worry about resistance. We're seeing more in soybeans, just like she said, but... We really don't want to lose these fungicides because, let's face it, we only have three commonly used modes of action. That's it. All right, well, if we lose one, now you're down to two, and boy, now it's getting pretty hairy because if we lose one more, we're really in trouble. So we would just encourage you, use multiple modes of action, use full rates as much as you can, and then we at least have less chance for resistance building up. Now, obviously, you're going to be looking at cost. That's a big deal. We're looking at that on our farm as well. So there are lots of options, and I know there's some cheap things you can get by with, but I, I would really just encourage you, try out some of the newer fungicides. Try some of the products that have multiple modes of action. That's what we always say here on the show. Start on a small scale, build from there, but run your own trials. Find out for yourself on your farm if you're getting success or not. We continue using fungicides on our farm. Yes, we cut back this year somewhat. Instead of spraying a couple times in corn, we sprayed once in corn. And the reason why is because we just have had barely any rain. But what we have had, especially since around the 4th of July, is lots of humidity. It's, it's kind of funny, like almost every night I got to lock our doors to our house and stuff. So I'll open the door and just, you know, kind of feel what the weather's like. And it's 10 o'clock at night or 1030 or whatever. And every night I stick my head out and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. It is that much more humid outside compared to inside when we've got air conditioning running. It's so humid in our geography on average in the last three years. Like where we farm by Sioux Falls, South Dakota, believe it or not, we've been more humid than Miami, Florida. It's no wonder we've been having disease issues. So just keep in mind, even if you don't have rainfall, if you do have humidity, you still can get a bunch of leaf diseases. All right, and then last thing here would be timing. I would just say, again, you want to be on the early side. The earliest where we've seen any success is kind of that V5 to V7 timing in corn. So there's some people that will do that. We've had pretty good luck in our geography with that timing more than about anything else. But I will say that V8 to V10 kind of timing, uh, and I know Kevin Matthews mentioned V10 to V12, but somewhere in that range is pretty good for a couple of reasons. One, you can still get over your crop with a lot of the common sprayers that people will have. Two, it's before tassel but it's still at a really critical time in that V10 kind of range, even sometimes V8, the ear leaf might be out 
if you the if the ear leaf is already out, and I, I was saying earlier, that's the most important leaf on the corn plant. Well, now you can protect it. Just don't ever forget with these fungicides, if the leaf isn't out and or you don't spray the leaf, you have no protection on that. So if a new leaf pops out tomorrow and you just sprayed today, well, that new leaf has no protection. The fungicide does not move in the plant. So that's one of the key things you always have to keep in mind with these fungicides. And I appreciated what uh, Tamara Jackson-Zims was saying about bactericides, and they last very little time. I mean, it's like even hydrogen peroxide, she was saying uh, a few hours. You get a few hours worth of control. Or copper, it's a very short-term thing. So you have to continue reapplying, reapplying, reapplying. A lot of the fungicides that we spray, whether we're talking strobe, trizol, SDHI, you're going to have that staying on the leaf and giving you some performance for probably 14 days, maybe even 21 days. So it's going to be out there for a while. I'm just trying to say it doesn't move from leaf to leaf, and it certainly isn't going to protect any new leaves that are coming out. So just remember again, coverage is key. Be on the early side. Use multiple modes of action, and then hopefully you're going to be in pretty good shape in terms of stopping um, or, or at least suppressing some of these corn leaf diseases that can be really, really problematic. So today on the show, we talked a little about northern corn leaf blight, uh, southern rust, gray leaf spot especially, uh, tar spot was mentioned briefly. There are a number of different diseases that can absolutely impact your corn. And right now, I'm guessing you're already talking to your seed corn dealer about 2022. Make sure you're bringing up a lot of these diseases and how good each hybrid does, especially on the bacterial diseases, because we just don't have great post-emerge options there. Well, stay tuned. We'll get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag next. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit mybayerplus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. 
Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Hey, everybody. Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. All right, our first question today comes from Texas. This is from Carl. He says, I use a hydrogen peroxide mixture on my tomatoes to kill bacterial problems. I'm going to use it on my second season corn or late season corn in my garden and see how it works. I'm showing minor bacterial problems on some of the corn stalks and leaves. All right, so Carl, we were just talking about this on the show today, and it just got brought up. Hydrogen peroxide may kill bacteria for a few hours it just doesn't last very long that gets to be the problem so in a garden type setting you can continue to reapply doesn't cost a whole lot of total dollars to do that or take a lot of time Uh, it's it's difficult out in our big corn fields uh, just when we start looking at the amount of time it would take to continue to reapply it and the cost there are other bactericides out there as well we were talking a little about copper type products today but uh, yes i mean there certainly are some things that you can do in your garden All right, next one also comes from Texas. This is from Stephen. He says, Hi, I'm a wheat farmer in north-central Texas. I was wondering when streaming nitrogen, uh, like 28005, on ground that will be planted to wheat, if the ground has to be absolutely clean when streaming fertilizer. The fertilizer would be plowed in. I didn't know if some grass and weeds mattered or not if it's being plowed in. Thanks, and I really enjoy the show. Well, Stephen, no, I wouldn't get too worried about it. We put nitrogen on top of weeds and residue and all kinds of stuff uh, it's really not that big a concern so will there be some amount of tie up anytime you have any organic material out there any weeds any residue yes there will be a little bit of tie up it's nothing i'd get super concerned about but nevertheless uh, the more of that you have the more tie up you're going to have Now, you could say, well, I could till the ground first, and then I could put the nitrogen on. But let's keep in mind that organic material that you just tilled in, it's not fully broken down. So will it help? Sure, it'll help maybe just a little bit, but I just, I wouldn't get that worried about it. It's not worth to me doing two tillage passes. So if it was me, I just put that nitrogen on the ground, then I would work it in. All right, next one comes from David. Uh, he is over in Minnesota. We do a lot of work with David, by the way, and uh, and his family. And he just made the comment here. He said, I planted and list soybeans this year, and I have cupped leaves in a pattern that appears to be from dicamba drift. Now, I was visiting with my neighbor uh, on the afternoon while he was spraying his adjacent field and filling his sprayer with Extend-to-Max herbicide for his soybeans. The wind was blowing away from my field. 
I suspected that an inversion or wind change of direction occurred causing the cup leaves in my field. However, leaf tissue samples are sent to a lab for analysis and the results only showed 2,4-D and not dicamba. Are Enlist soybeans susceptible to cupping from using Enlist 1? And how about if temperatures rise in the following few days after spraying Enlist 1? All right, so David, first of all, we have not seen leaf cupping on soybeans just from spraying Enlist 1. But if you are putting other things in there, so let's say it's ammonium sulfate, another herbicide, a fungicide, a biological, a plant growth hormone, any foliar fertilizer, any of that kind of stuff, you might see some type of leaf response. Now, when you say cupping, I don't know you know, exactly what you mean there. I'd kind of have to look at that because the dicamba cupping does look at least a little bit distinctive. I'll say too, even if let's say they're, they aren't detecting dicamba in your leaves, is it still possible that a light whiff of dicamba got into your plant and had some impact and made the leaves curl? Sure it is, because soybeans are the most sensitive plant in the world to dicamba. It it would only take, like I say, a little whiff of dicamba. What they found is like, just for example, in a three in a twelve hundred gallon sprayer. Think about this. A 1,200-gallon sprayer, so a person spraying 10 gallons to the acre, that's 120 acres. What they found is just three ounces of dicamba will absolutely cup those leaves. Three ounces in 1,200 gallons. That's all it takes. Now, is that going to mean it's going to hurt the yield? No, not no. In fact, it might even help the yield. We don't know. But we do know it's going to cup the leaves. Now, what I would assume happened here for you is... That neighbor that sprayed, chances are there was some volatility off that field. And within 48 hours, and it could happen within 72, but especially within 48 hours, if that wind shifted direction and there were some vapors coming off that and just, again, a little whiff of dicamba got out there, it could be enough that it cupped the leaves, yet you're not seeing a, 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 a recordable amount of dicamba in that plant. So it's possible, you know, I don't know. But all I know is for Enlist, there have been millions, tens of millions of acres sprayed, and we just have not seen leaf cupping out of the straight Enlist 1 product. Uh, But here's one other thing that I want to throw out. It could also be something else that was in that sprayer at some point. So it's very common where somebody had sprayed, let's say, a dicamba product two months ago. And there's still some in the poly, so most tanks, most spray tanks are not stainless steel. If your sprayer is a poly tank, I want you to think about the pores that are in that poly. Well, we know that there are a lot of herbicides that can pull stuff out of those pores. And what I fear is that that may have ended up happening here. Now, I'm not saying it did for sure. It may have, uh, but we do see this very commonly where it only takes just a little bit, again, in that sprayer of something else, and then all of a sudden your leaves are cupped. All right, next one comes from Dan. He said, I've been hearing about a lot about nanotechnology products. Have you guys looked into that stuff? And if so, what are you finding? Uh, Dan, we haven't spent a lot of our time working on those nanotechnology things. Um, It it is something that we are kind of keeping an eye out for, but we also have some concerns in terms of safety and stuff like that. So we just want to see a little bit more before we start heading down the path of doing big-scale trials. 
All right, next one is from Josh up in North Dakota. And he says, um, what's the difference between acid equivalent and active ingredient? So, for example, there are a lot of glyphosate products out there that may have active ingredient loads of 5.4 pounds, but only have an acid equivalent of 4 pounds. So what should I be looking for? What's really the difference? All right, so Josh, here's the thing. The active ingredient weight also can include the salt part of the molecule. So, for example, glyphosate products could be formulated with a potassium salt, like Roundup, uh, Power Max, or RT3. They could be, the, the, a lot of the old products are formulated with an IPA salt, or isopropylamine, or a DA diammonium salt. So there are many different kinds of salt, and that can have an absolute impact when you start looking at the active ingredient weight. The acid equivalent weight provides a better comparison when you start talking about all these different glyphosate products. So that's really what I would look at is that acid equivalent rate. All right, uh, another question here about glyphosate. This one comes from Ethan. He says, I've wondered for a while why glyphosate technology failed in soybeans. I have my theory, but I'd like to hear you guys or your opinion. Was it misuse of the product or was the failure inevitable? Do you believe we will reach that type of resistance in extend and enlist technology? If so, how do we avoid it, if possible? Uh, we already have known resistance with dicamba. Well, where do we go if all these current technologies fail? All right, Ethan, excellent question. I don't know for sure why the glyphosate thing failed, but we do know just as a general statement that when people continue using one product to kill a weed and they use it over and over, and in some cases they either cut rates or just flat out don't use enough to kill the weed, non-dead weeds are where resistance comes from. I always say, look, we know there's one solution for this resistance issue. A dead weed can never become a resistant weed, okay? So we got to make sure that our weeds are dead. And Part of the problem here that we have is this whole IPM, integrated pest management concept, along with the concept of I got to make as much money as possible every single year in every single crop. Here's where I'm going with this. I'm not saying anything bad about either of those two theories. What I am saying is if we leave some weeds and we don't control them and they've been sprayed with a herbicide, now that's where a lot of resistance can come from. Are we going to have issues in Extend and Enlist? Absolutely we are. We already have some. So where do we go if these current technologies fail? We still have a lot of different herbicide options, but I tell people all the time, please use pre-emerge herbicides and please use modes of action, multiple modes of action, I should say, to kill every weed on the farm. If you're doing that, you have a lot less chance for weed resistance building up and for us losing more pesticides as we go down the road. All right, well, that is our time for today. Before we go, I just want to say thanks to our production staff, thanks to everybody who uh, wrote in with questions, and thanks to you for listening, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.